Good morning, beautiful people. In, in fact, I'm going to invite you to turn to someone beside you. As um, Molly said, this is the, the press point of the um, semester. If you'll turn to someone beside you and say, good morning, beautiful person. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we are still alive, that when we um, smell uh, the coffee uh, staining the top part of our lips, that God is still with us, and that when we are wearing the same outfit four days in a row, that God sees us as beautiful people, and the people around us also see us as beautiful people. Um, it is a great gift to get to be with you this morning. As a Duke University Divinity School graduate, I believe that God is indeed a God of reconciliation, that you would welcome me into your arms this morning. <laughs> Um, already there are miracles that have happened. Um, Molly, my dear sister, called me Dr. Yaboa. I am not a doctor, but I came on this campus and God has moved in a way that I now have been conferred that gift. Yes, who knew? Um, you come to Asbury, you, t you sleep at the Asbury Inn, you wake up a doctor. I will, I will take that, I will take that. So thank you, Molly, for conferring that gift upon me today. Um, so this morning we find ourselves um, in the thick of the Lenten season, um, the season where we spend 40 days by self-examination, praying, reading scripture, reflecting on why it is that Christ Jesus came into the world to live a life that we could never live, to die a death that we could never endure so that we might have life and life more abundantly. It's these 40 days that we come up close and personal with the things that make us imperfect. Even though we try to put on and look like we've got everything together, sometimes creating these spiritual hoops that we jump through to try to confer upon ourselves this self-righteousness. It's in these 40 days that we recognize Jesus did not die to just make us nicer. Jesus died to make us like him. So in order for us to know where we are going, and who we should be to be made more in the likeness of Christ Jesus, who was glory to glory and grace to grace, the one who was fully human and also fully divine. In order to know where we are going, Lent gives us the opportunity to just sit and figure out where we are. To get um, a little bit comfortable with our failings and our misgivings, not that we would wallow in shame, but that we would know that as we take this journey to the cross, Jesus takes this journey with us. But in order for us to know where we are going, we have to learn to become comfortable with being uncomfortable with who we are. And so this morning, uh, we are going to talk about what it looks like in this season um, to lay ourselves bare to recognize the big things that trip us up, which then also cause the small things to trip us up. And then to know that there is this loving Father who waits for us, who comes to us to make us into the people that Jesus called us to be. I want to just read um, again from Luke chapter 15, um, the passage of scripture that we are going to land on. It's in verse 17 of the 15th chapter. But when he, speaking of the son, came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. 
I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. But when he came to himself, will you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for this moment, for we believe that this moment is like no other. For moments like this, you speak a word to us, and you speak a word that would make us live. So God, we pray that you would turn down the volume on all the other voices that would seek to distract us of the things that we have not yet finished and the things that we need to get done later today. In this moment, oh God, would you help us to be present to you in the way that you are present to us? So speak to us in a mighty roar if that will get our attention, or speak to us in hushed tones if that will get our attention. But gracious God, we ask that you would take my words hostage and that you and you alone would speak a word to us so that we can live. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask this in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So about four years ago, I was uh, put in a situation where I needed to buy a new car. And at that point in time, I was about 35 years old, which some might say that I was kind of going through my own little midlife crisis. And so I decided that with this next car purchase, I was going to be a little bit adventurous. And in all of my years of driving a vehicle, I've only owned an automatic. And I decided, eh, I might as well venture into the wild world of driving a stick shift car. So I began to say to myself, what is the best kind of stick shift car that I could ever purchase? And I decided after seeing the Italian job that a Mini Cooper was calling me. <laughs> So I began to talk to um, a lot of my friends who also drove Mini Coopers or Clubmans or Countrymen who also drove stick shift cars. And I'm like, listen, you know, um, I'm not necessarily the best stick shift driver, but what do you think about this? And one of my dear members, I mean, he spoke to me with the, with the voice of Biggie Smalls. You know, when I hear the voice, like, speaking to me, that moves me. It's the voice of Biggie Smalls. He speaks to me. And the voice of Biggie Smalls, his name is John Holloway. And John Holloway is about 6'8". I am not 6'8". And he looks down at me. And I'm like, John Holloway, should I buy a manual transmission? And he says, Lisa, do you want to drive or do you want to be driven? And I said, oh, John Holloway, I want to drive. And he says, you need to get yourself a stick shift car. And I was like, I'm going to get myself a stick shift car. <laughs> so I did what... What every wise person does when they know they have a deficiency in their lives. My deficiency is that I do not know how to drive a stick shift. I got onto the wonderful world of YouTube and decided that I was going to watch tutorials as to how you drive a stick shift car. I mean, I learned how to make my eyebrows look good on YouTube. Why not also get YouTube to help me drive a manual transmission? So I go to CarMax with all of my YouTube knowledge of how to drive a stick shift vehicle. I tell the woman, the sales representative who sits in the car with me, listen, this might be your last day on earth because I really don't know how to drive this car. Do you mind if we take the back roads? And she's like, sure, uh, let's see how this goes. I test drove the car. It was more like, um, I don't know, convulsing down the road. <laughs> And when it was all said and done, 
I decided with my uh, very broad knowledge of driving a stick shift because of my YouTube uh, research that I was going to drop a big chunk of change and I purchased that vehicle. I could not drive the car off the lot because from CarMax to my house, there are lots of hills and I knew this toasted mahogany pastor was not going to make it alive. So I got a friend to drive my new car to my house. And for a week, I would leave my home, which was only five miles away from the church where I serve, at 5.30 in the morning so that I could give myself ample time to convulse to work. If ever there were a picture that went along with the word hot mess, it would have been mine for that week. At the latter part of this week of now having this practice of waking up at the crack of dawn to get to work, I decided that I was going to see if a friend could help me learn how to actually drive this car. And so this evening, I got in my car and I began to, what I was trying my very best to do, to maneuver and drive this car. And it was as though the car was telling me, get thee behind me, Lisa, you do not know what you are doing. <laughs> At one point in time, I thought that the engine was going to fall out. I mean, something was happening and the car was betraying me and we were not at one with one another. And it got so bad that I finally just had to get up on the side of the road and I began to weep like I have never wept before. Because in that moment, it hit me. Lisa, you are a pastor. And there are times when people are in emergency situations. Lisa, you are a pastor. And there are moments when folks are facing some of the greatest challenges of their lives. And you have to have the ability to get to them. And here you are on the side of the road in a car you cannot drive that you spent a lot of money to purchase. And you cannot drive this vehicle. And in my weeping, this was my litany. God, what have I done? I am 35 years old with two degrees a person who calls upon the wisdom of God. And in my desire to be adventurous, what have I done? Have you ever had one of those moments, and it might not have been as simple as driving a car, one of those moments when you're wondering, what have I done? When you have spoken a word to your spouse or to your friend and you recognize how hateful and spiteful you have become and you're like, who have I become? The moment you wake up and you realize you are in a relationship that you just don't need to be in and you wonder, Lord, who have I become? When you begin to have patterns of living to numb yourself, what you call these patterns of living, just trying to take the edge off, what have I become? Have you ever had one of those moments when you came to your senses. Sometimes the most desperate moments in our lives have a beautiful, but sometimes a really 
harsh way of helping us come to our senses. What have I done? You know, Jesus knows about these rock bottom situations. And the scripture tells us that um, a wealthy landowner had this younger son who had a rock bottom situation. And his what have I done moment came when he was sitting in the pig pen with pens with pigs and watching the food fall out of the pig's mouths. And this um, younger son was thinking that this looked like a five course meal. And it was in the moment that when this uh, younger son is seeing literally chewed up food falling out of a pig's mouth. That he comes to his senses. But this um, younger son, he didn't start there in the pig pen. Oh, boy, he made a whole lot of mistakes leading up to getting into the pig pen. He goes to his father and says to his father, Father, I want everything that is owed to me. Um, At the very best, he was basically inviting his father into um, handing him over what he deserved or thought he deserved. At the very least, he was saying to his father, you're not um, dying quickly enough for me. Because I know this is the inheritance I would get whenever you die. Um, His ask of his father was uh, a personal affront and an insult to the very parent who had held him close and who had nurtured him. Then um, this younger son takes his money and he goes, it says, to a far off place, symbolizing he leaves everything that had once anchored him. It's not just geographical distance, but it's emotional and spiritual and a social distance that he's far off. And when he goes off to this far off place with all of this money in his hands, he doesn't give to the Red Cross. He doesn't give his money away to Habitat for Humanity, but homeboy lives up, so dis- dissolute living, and hangs with women who want you to make the money rain. He's personally insulted his father, and he takes all that his father has given him, and he doesn't even use the inheritance in a way that would give his father glory. And then... And then because he was, I mean, popping bottles and hanging out, he no longer has any money. And something that is beyond his control, a famine sweeps over the land, and he is no longer prepared. There is no safety net to take care of him. The son has made his bed and has created his own disaster. And then he has to take a job that is at odds with everything he has ever believed. I want you to remember this, that as one who would have been considered a devout Jew, pigs are considered unclean. And not only um, are they considered unclean, but to touch and to be in the pig pen of those animals that are unclean betrays everything that he would have ever understood about his religious beliefs, about the things that would keep him holy. And as he is doing this job that betrays everything that he would have ever learned, he is watching now the food drip from the pigs' mouths, and he yearns for that food. And then in verse 17, 
the scriptures tell us this. In that pig pen, in that very low place, in that place that is the embodiment of his mess, he comes to his senses. This is where I want to land. It's going to be simple this morning. A life shift first comes with a mindset shift. Let me say that again. A life shift first comes with a mindset shift. That moment when the son wants to return to his father first comes when he realizes, oh my goodness, can I, um, can I, can I settle myself on the thing that I have left and now look where I am? Even my father's hired hands, even the folks who work for my father, they don't have it this badly. And I don't have to stay in this place. This mindset shift of I don't have to be my worst self, but maybe there is something such as my best self that is waiting for me. And when this man comes to his senses, he then wants to make a return to his father. That's what we call um, this term repentance. That moment that we recognize that our hearts are restless until they find rest in God, when our minds realize that and then begin to speak to our heart is what we call repentance. That moment when we realize that we are not at home in ourselves when we are our worst selves, but we are more at home in ourselves when we are our best selves, that's what we call repentance. It comes from this Greek word, metanoia, that literally means changing one's mind and then turning. When we have a mindset shift, oftentimes our lives will begin to follow. We should never take it for granted when we find ourselves in the pig pen and we recognize, I don't have to stay here. But this is the great misconception when we have the mindset shift. There are some of us that believe that repentance always has to be married to shaming. That when we are in the pig pen and we come to our senses, all of a sudden we have this, this other thing within us begins to tell us, you know what, you have done some really bad things and you have not been a good person and, and, and you, have, you, you have not shown yourself to be worthy of, of God's love. Just stay here for a while. I mean, no one's going to take you back. You, you are not good. I mean, you do not deserve the goodness or the grace or the love or the mercy of God. So it'd just be better if you just kind of sit here defeated and deflated. Or, or, or I, I got myself into this mess for five years. I need to kind of wallow in this mess for five more years. That I need to learn how to do a good bit of self-flogging before I can go back home to the Father. But the thing is, repentance isn't married to shame. I'm about to tell you something. Repentance is married to courage. Yes. 
It's having the courage to get unstuck. It's having the courage to live your best life. It's having the courage to get out of the pig pen. It's having the courage to climb yourself out of the pit. It's having the courage to believe that you know in your mind, when it's married in your heart, that you can begin to walk out of the pig pen and go back home. And so here is the good news. Forgiveness is the guarantee. It's our ability to turn that's oftentimes elusive. So how many of us have stayed in the pig pen way too long? Or maybe you know someone who is in the pig pen. How many of us have felt like we are in too deep? Or felt too far away from redemption? It just starts with changing your mind on what life really is. And that there's this three part um, to the son's return. The first is that he comes to his senses. He recognizes, oh, I have strayed so far away. And then it says that the son gets up. He arises. And then, even believing that his father is not going to even call him once again a son, he goes to the father. And here's the better news. Before the son can get to the father, the father goes to the son. And the father doesn't just saunter to the son when he says he sees the son from afar off. But it says that when the father sees the son from afar off, remember when the son went to a faraway place? When the father sees his son from afar off, he begins to dash toward the son. Let me tell you what's so beautiful about the father running to the son. In this particular context, it was considered undignified and against social convention that a grown man would ever be found running in public. It was considered foolishness, the thing you would never see a man do. But the father is like, I'm not worried about social conventions and what people think. I'm not one, uh, worried if people think that I am foolish. I don't care if the neighbors are going to talk about me tomorrow about why was so-and-so or why was so-and-so making a 100-yard dash. All I know is that my son is trying to crawl back to me and I need to get to him. He comes to his senses, he arises, and he goes to the Father, but before he can get to the Father, the Father goes to him. Let me tell you why um, I just thought it was important to preach this particular passage of Scripture to you all. I know that most of you in this room are going to one day 
stand behind a sacred desk and you're going to preach to people. And you're going to become so adept at helping people uncover their own pig pens in their lives. You're going to become so instinctive about helping people have the courage to repent and to move toward being their best selves. You are going to learn how to sniff out from a far away when folks are living a shadow life. But I need to also say this as a pastor to those who are going to be pastors and who are pastors. The capacity for self-deception as a pastor is enormous. We become so great at pointing out other people's pig pens that we sometimes forget when we're in our own. And I don't want you to ever become too comfortable with setting up shop in your pig pen. You, you who are going to be pastors, I don't want you ever to come to your senses and then not to have the courage to say you're sorry and to go back home. You who will have titles and status and people are going to come to you. I don't want you to ever be fooled that somehow forgiveness is not also available to you. That like a grandmother who sits on a porch telling her child, I'm so grateful that you have come home. That God waits for us and sometimes dares to run to us. As the worship team comes forward, I'm going to come down closer to you all. Because I want to lead us in um, a time of prayer. You may be in your own way dealing with a pig pen moment. That even as you are hearing the scriptures read today, you are thinking, oh my gosh, that thing. That thing that I don't want anyone to ever know about. Or will people really love me if they found out? Or would I have to start off, please don't hate me when I tell you this. I don't know what it may be. Or maybe in your life you're feeling like, oh no, I I have just come out of a pig pen. But maybe you need to be able to confer a word of grace to someone else who has become so comfortable with living in their pig pen. I, I don't know who you are going to take before God today, whether it's yourself or you're going to be like the friends who lowered their friend down to Jesus. All I want you to do is to not let this moment pass you by. To quiet the voices so that maybe you might turn up the voice. God, I need to come to you with my, what have I done? so that you might hear God turn up the volume of God's voice to say, I am running toward you. Don't mistake my love for you. I'm gonna invite you just to cup your hands. As a sign that there are things that we might need to give to Christ, And there are some things that we badly need to receive from Christ. Gracious God, we confess that we can be people who would choose to manufacture a life than to give you the space to create life for us.
Jesus, we confess that sometimes we are held hostage by our lives when you want to give us a life that is life more abundantly. Christ Jesus, we confess that we have learned all of the tricks to make people think that all is well with us. When you are whispering in our ears, I did not die that you might live a false life. Gracious God, we confess that we were very quick to bring others out of their pig pens and yet have a hard time naming our own. But God, we sit here in this moment calling ourselves the courageous ones, that you would touch our minds that we might have a mindset shift, that we would not become at home with our despair, that we would not fall in love with our brokenness, that we would not claim our old names or our old stories or our old narratives, that we would not live in that far off place, but God, that we would have the courage to arise, to make about face and to return to you. You remind us in scripture that this is how you show your love to us. That you died for us while we were yet sinners. And that proves your love toward us. God, help us to believe in that saving love. That we might return to you. We pray this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.